Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says she learned of the president's positive diagnosis with sadness and hoped that it would be a learning experience. This is tragic. It's very sad. But it also is something that, that, uh, again, uh, going into crowds, uh, unmasked and all the rest, was sort of a, a brazen invitation for something like this to happen. Both President Trump and the First Lady are experiencing mild symptoms of COVID-19. Their diagnosis has shaken the country, eliciting both well wishes and rebukes for the president's downplaying of the virus's dangers. We look at how this bombshell development impacts the election, then we'll turn to state politics and debate Proposition 25. Forum is next. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Former Vice President Joe Biden has announced he's tested negative for the coronavirus after fear of his exposure was amplified with the president's positive coronavirus test. Hours before the announcement, former California Governor Pete Wilson gave his endorsement to the president, saying, quote, he has very good judgment. But many are questioning why the president, after learning his close aide Hope Hicks had COVID-19, continued to a fundraiser at his golf club in Bedminster, where he did not wear a mask. We look at the implications of the president's diagnosis on the election, his Supreme Court nomination, and more with KQED's Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent and co-host of KQED's Political Breakdown Show. Thanks so much for joining us, Marisa. Morning, Mina. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Sahil Kapoor, national political reporter for NBC News. Thanks for being with us as well, Sahil Kapoor. Good to join you. You know, I want to start with you, if I could. I know you've been tracking the reaction from Senate and House leaders, and I'm wondering what you are hearing them say about this. And in particular, it seems like the topic of discussion right now is how to move forward with President Trump's nominee, Judge Amy Coney Barrett. Right. Well, a few things here. First, there is an outpouring of well wishes from members of both parties in Congress. Uh, Everyone wants the president to get well. Uh, This all happens as the election is in 32 days, uh, the, next, uh, the, the next debate, which is the vice presidential debate, is in five days. And there's a presidential debate after that in 13 days. 
uh, it is unclear how much of, of the upcoming debates will continue, you know, will go through given that 13 days are still potentially in the quarantine window. So there are many, many uncertainties here. And one of those uncertainties is right here in Washington, where I am. What will happen to the president's Supreme Court nomination of Amy Coney Barrett? We have confirmed that she has tested negative for the coronavirus. But some senators, uh, we've confirmed Mike Lee, a, a Republican from Utah, has tested positive for the virus. And there are lots of questions as to uh, whether this will go forward. The attitude from Republicans, including the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, is absolutely it's going to move forward full steam ahead. Democrats are calling for a pause uh, to not guarantee any kind of schedules at this point in light of recent news. Uh, so there, there, there are many uncertainties at this moment in terms of what happens with the presidential debates and what happens ahead with one of the biggest, most consequential uh, items, which is the Supreme Court nomination. Yes, we are seeing some rumblings on social media that uh, some Republican senators are asking Leader McConnell to potentially take the Senate out of session next week because they're concerned about people potentially getting sick and the implications of that. You also mentioned that you're hearing from some Democratic leaders asking for a pause. What are Democrats Chuck Schumer and Dianne Feinstein saying? Uh, the two of them put out a statement, and Feinstein, of course, a senator from California, the top Democrat on the Judiciary Committee that oversees this, said, and I'm just going to quote from the statement here, quote, premature for Chairman Graham to commit to a hearing schedule when we do not know the full extent of potential exposure stemming from the president's infection. And before the White House puts in place a contact tracing plan to further uh, to prevent further spread of the disease, unquote. So they are saying we, there's a lot we don't know yet, but this could, in their view, turn uh, an already illegitimate process into a dangerous one. Uh, that's, again, a direct quote from Schumer and Feinstein. So they are urging caution at this moment. The one thing uh, to keep in mind here is that the Senate does not have a process for remote voting. So mm. if a senator is sick, uh, they, it, it, they probably will have to miss a vote, and they will not be able to be on the Senate floor to cast that vote. Marisa Lagos, how realistic do you think this is that, yes, in fact, this will throw a big wrench into plans for the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett? Yeah, I mean, I think there's just so much we don't know, Mina. And I think one thing that we really need to keep in mind is that we do know about this virus is that it can sometimes take time to show up and test. So even folks, you know, on both sides of the aisle, the vice president, um, Mike Pence and his wife, who have tested negative this morning, the former vice president, Joe Biden, um, and his wife, Jill Biden, who have tested negative, they say, um, we, you know, there could still be questions in the coming days as to whether, you know, that those negative tests essentially hold um, um, and I think given that Mike Lee has tested positive, it looks like Ronna McDaniel, the head of the RNC, has as well. Um, you know, the, I think one question I have is, like, what is the White House and Democratic leaders going to do in the meantime in these next few days? Um, the Pences have not said whether they're going to self-quarantine as they await, you know, more and more days. It's not clear when the last time Pence, at least from what I've seen, was actually physically in contact with the president. Um, and, and I think that just uncertainty is really the name of the game right now because there are so many people that it appears that the president has come in contact with. I mean, as you noted in the intro, 
They apparently are saying they found out about Hope Hicks' diagnosis yesterday morning, and yet the president still traveled on Air Force One to this fundraiser. And so that raises questions, of course, not just about his staff, the press corps. Um, there's so many people that the president has publicly come into contact with not wearing a mask, not following social distance protocols. And I think that, you know, essentially everyone in that orbit is going to need to be on high alert, potentially for the next week or longer. And I mean, this listener comments, how many people have been infected and died because they trusted Donald Trump's statements about coronavirus? Let's not forget about so much needless suffering that he's caused, and he is clearly not apologetic based on what he said at the debate. Let's hope more Americans wise up. And of course, if you want to weigh in on this, listeners, you can do that on Facebook or Twitter at KQED Forum. Email us at forum at kqed.org, or you can call us at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786 with your questions and comments around this incredible development. I mean, this bombshell news and earthquake development, it's been called so many things just because of its magnitude. Sahil Kapoor, I mean, you mentioned uh, the vice presidential debate and the implications on that. What do you think could happen around the vice presidential debate? At this moment, the positive news here is that, um, or I shouldn't use that word, I should say good news here is that <laughs> uh, Vice President Mike Pence and uh, Democratic Vice Presidential nominee Kamala Harris have both been tested this morning for COVID-19 and both have tested negative. They yes. do not have the virus, uh, according to their representatives. So theoretically, that clears a path for them to potentially participate in the vice presidential debate, which is scheduled for next week. Uh, if that continues. Now, of course, the incubation period is several days and they're going to have to be tested again and again and again uh, to make sure that, you know, they, they haven't contracted it only for it to show up later. So at this point, there's still a possibility that the vice presidential debate happens uh, next week. And, you know, similarly, as you say, this listener tweets, don't some of these political leaders like senators and senators and Biden need to continue getting testing because they could still develop the virus? Shouldn't the press be careful when reporting somebody tested negative and say that it's only up to this point? And, and yes, they underscored the point you were making about that. But Marisa Lagos, I turn to you as well. I mean, how important does this make the vice presidential debate if it goes forward? And especially in terms of our California senator and vice presidential candidate Kamala Harris. Harris in terms of what she would need to do in a situation like this? Yeah, I mean, it's an it's a eminently more interesting question now, given, you know, quite frankly, the age of both of the candidates and the fact that this virus we know is more deadly for older people. And so I think that in a normal year, which 2020 is obviously not on so many fronts, um, a vice presidential debate probably wouldn't be that consequential. But I do think it stands to be more so given the dynamics of this presidential election. I mean, you know, it's important to note, Mina, that even with everything that has changed in the world since Janu- January, this race has been remarkably stable, right? Um, and I do think that anybody making predictions right now about exactly what this could do to the state of the politics is probably uh, ill-informed because we just don't know so much. But it does feel as if the you know the message the president had been putting out the vice president had been putting out is that this virus is behind us and this obviously brings it back to the forefront and i would expect that if there is a, a vice presidential debate on tuesday um covid will be even more of a sort of you know really dwelled upon topic especially by kamala harris um but you know it just raises so many questions too 
We saw this happen in California at the end of session here, right, where one of the Republican senators tested positive. Um, they were quarantined. Most of the caucus was because they had all been in contact as well. It really upended the end of the session here. We didn't get to some of the bills that Democrats wanted to because of it. And I just think um, we're so early in this. And, and, and again, back to the point that it does seem that with the Supreme Court nomination, with the debate, um, with a lot of the meetings that have been happening, there has been a lot of contact between the Senate, uh, Republican senators and the White House that there could be sort of more, uh, you know, more things could fall in the coming days. Well, let me bring caller Dean from Sacramento into the conversation. Hi, Dean. Join us. What would you like to ask? Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I had a question as to in in the, uh, God forbid, event that uh, that Trump becomes incapacitated but, but, isn't, but doesn't die, who makes the determination that the vice president will take over at that point. Mm, Sahil Kapoor. Uh, an extremely good question. And there, there are two ways to look at this. The first is um, if the president becomes incapacitated or unable to serve for whatever reason while he is uh, in office, then the Constitution provides that the vice president shall take over. Uh, so I think that the process there is, is quite clear. There is a much more complicated question of what happens in the election uh, if the president or any or, you know, any individual on a, a presidential ticket becomes incapacitated or unable to serve between now and the election. And uh, essentially, the, the, the short answer is that the party would have to decide if it's the president, it would be the RNC that would have to come up with a whole new ticket and then direct the electors of the Electoral College once they meet in December to support that ticket, even though you would have millions of Americans essentially having to cast their ballot for Trump-Pence because they've been printed already. Uh, they can't be changed. So it essentially, it would be an extremely chaotic and messy situation with no precedent in American history. But it, he would have to be extremely incapacitated, right, Marisa? Yeah, I mean, f under the Constitution for the vice president to, to, you know, need to step up and take over, he would be, have to be incapacitated, right? Unable to function, unable to carry out his duties. Um, and I think that that, you know, that is a process that that I think is pretty well laid out within the Constitution. I think, um, you know, the, the better point to... to to his point is what would happen um, if Trump were to stay in that position and, and given the fact that the ballots have been printed and, and people are already weighing in. We're talking with Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent for KQED and co-host of KQED's political breakdown program, and also Sahil Kapoor, national political reporter for NBC News. Really appreciate you coming on with us, Sahil Kapoor. Thank you. We're talking about the news that President Donald Trump has tested positive for coronavirus. We'll have more after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. And of course, we're talking about how President Donald Trump and First Lady Melania Trump have tested positive for COVID-19 and as of right now have said that they are experiencing mild symptoms of the illness. Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent for KQED, is with us. And also now Dan Baltz joins us, chief political correspondent for The Washington Post. Dan Baltz, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Dan Baltz. Are you there? 
And while we make that connection, let me remind listeners, 866-733-6786 is the number to call if you want to weigh in. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email us at forum at kqed.org. And Dan Baltz, is that you that I hear coughing there? That is me. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we haven't yet touched on, we've talked about broader implications, especially if the president gets quite ill. But if, you know, hopefully this remains relatively mild, as they're saying that it is, and this election continues, can you talk about what you see as the implications of this on the election? I mean, some people are saying that they're concerned this could be a sympathy, it would garner sympathy for the president, while others are saying that it really brings the pandemic to the fore, which is a topic he really didn't want to have be center stage in the final month. Your thoughts? I, I think both of those are both of those are certainly possible. Um, I mean, the reality that we we know is that almost nothing that has happened this year in a in a truly extraordinary year has had any significant effect on the kind of the state of the the competition between the president and Vice President Biden. Um, you know, Biden has had a lead in the national polls since late spring, basically since the Democratic nomination battle ended. Um, it, it rose up in the middle of the summer, came back down a little bit. But since, um, I would say, mid to late August, it's been pretty steady in the range of, you know, seven, eight, nine points nationally. Uh, many of the key battleground states continue to tilt in Biden's direction. A few that don't are in a toss-up category. Um, and we've been through one kind of unbelievable event after another, and nothing seems to shake it. Um, This is obviously one of those, you know, kind of cataclysmic moments that people had not anticipated. Um, I think both things are possible, that there could be some sympathy uh, for the president, but also some recognition that the president has um, has, you know, been in the way he's dealt with this thing, has tried to play it down, has not, you know, has mocked Biden for wearing masks, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I think both of those things could happen. What about anger, even among his supporters? We've seen some of that expressed in terms of the fact that the White House was not transparent, potentially, of Hope Hicks' diagnosis um, and the fact that he made the decision to engage with many people uh, with regard to his fundraiser that he attended immediately after learning of Hicks' diagnosis. Well, the White House, in all kinds of ways, in the Trump campaign, has you know has been kind of flagrant in in uh, being dismissive of um, what people would expect at a moment like this. I mean, the, they have they have rarely been transparent uh, about his health uh, in a complete way. We still don't know why he made that mysterious trip to Walter Reed uh, Hospital uh, summer before last um, at the debate. Uh, members of his family, though it was the requirement for everybody in the hall to wear a mask, members of his family uh, chose not to wear a mask. They were they were encouraged to do so by someone from the Cleveland Clinic when they arrived, uh, but they chose otherwise. Um, they the news about Hope Hicks was not shared. It was ferreted out by by Bloomberg News to right. their credit. Jennifer um, Jacobs. And it was only after that, right, Jennifer Jacobs. It was only after that that uh, that the White House that the president acknowledged it. Um, they knew about the, from what we know, they knew about the Hope Hicks um, test positive before the president left for the fundraiser in uh, Bedminster last evening. Um, and yet they did not share that with anybody who was at that. So 
Um, it's quite extraordinary. And, and uh, the White House chief of staff came out this morning uh, to talk with reporters uh, at the White House uh, with, without wearing a mask. So, um, you know, I think all of that will come into question, putting aside the, you know, the, as you suggest, everybody hopes that this is a mild case at worst and that the president and first lady recover swiftly and fully. Well, Susan writes, Marisa Lagos, kind of to this point, it's appalling and tragic that the president has intentionally jeopardized the lives of so many people because of his solipsistic, hubristic behavior. Marisa, I don't know if you have a reaction to that I mean, as well. Yeah, well, I just, I would say that, you know, it is not, we do have a pretty long history of presidents hiding health conditions in this country. I think it's become much more difficult. Um, you can't imagine, you know, some of some of the things like with with FDR and and, and polio um, being that you could even do that in this day and age. But I do think that there's long been questions about Trump's sort of forthcoming um, nature around his own health. And I think that to me as a reporter, the bigger question is really um, the you know, this issue of the delay between when they found out about Hope Hicks and the and and then when the president actually started quarantining himself um, in terms of other people who were exposed and what that could mean, you know, not just for the campaign, which is, of course, important, but for the functioning of our government. <laughs> um, and so I do think yes. that there's going to continue to be questions about how much, you know, we can trust what is coming out of this White House in terms of how forthcoming they're being about the president's uh, health. Mark in San Mateo, join us. Hi, Mark. Thanks for calling. Hi. As a follow on to your last three, um, you know, Here's the thing. No one wishes that the president or his family is going to have uh, significant symptoms. But uh, if he does not, and if Hope and or Melania does not, then my concern is that they will then use that and spin it to continue his spin that basically says, no, this virus is no big deal. 208,000 people dead is uh, false and and everything's fine. It's just a little mild nothing and you don't have to social distance. You don't have to wear a mask. See, I was right the whole time. I'll take my answer off the air, Mm. but that's my concern that they can use this to spin it to minimize it, which would be, of course, extremely dangerous for the country. Dan Baltz, what do you think? Well, I think even if they try, the public will, you know, people will make their own decisions and draw their own conclusions. I mean, everything we've we've observed through, you know, several through months of polling uh, is that, you know, anywhere from 60 to 65 percent of the public um, feels that they are concerned about contracting uh, COVID-19. Now, there's a deep partisan split on this front. um, But I think that the fact that um, the way the president has been campaigning around the country at rallies without masks, holding events on the White House you know, lawn without masks, um, and and now contracts the virus is a reminder uh, that this does, you know, nobody's nobody's safe from this. And particularly if they don't, you know, exhibit protective behavior. So um, some people, you know, the, some people may take that conclusion that it's, oh, it's if they you know, if they do recover quickly and fully, that it's that's not a serious threat. But I think a lot of other people will say um, this is not a risk worth taking. 
Yeah, Marisa. The, the White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows, was out just this morning addressing reporters without a mask on. You know, he said he had just tested negative, but obviously he, he conceded, as we've all been talking about, that those tests need to be ongoing because sometimes symptoms don't even show up in the test immediately. And so I, I do think, um, again, that, you know, this was not the conversation that the president and his administration and campaign want to be having. They want to be really talking about this pandemic as something in the past tense. And I, I think that's going to be more challenging. Um, but whether that moves independents who are still on the fence, which I think to people on both sides of the aisle still like can feel very unbelievable given how polarized the moment's in. Um, I, it, it, I just, nothing has changed the, the dynamics of this race, even with the just alarming amount of news we've had over the last eight months or so. Well, let me see if I can squeeze one last call in because I know Dan Baltz needs to leave, leave us at 1030. Carmen in San Francisco, what is your question? Hello. Yes. Uh, first of all, I was really proud to hear that we have done really well in San Francisco in regards to the exposure because we are all wearing masks and we're really proud about that. Uh, one thing. And second, I wanted to say that um, I w we would like as a public to know from a reputed a doctor that he indeed Trump has um, COVID as we don't trust him. Um, mm. He has appeared as, um, as a liar in so many occasions that we don't trust the whole party system and all that much. <laughs> so it would be nice to know for sure a corroborated uh, real licensed doctor to say that he indeed has it because I would hate to then see him come out as a superhero saying that the COVID is no big deal. Uh, Dan Baltz, Carmen is not alone in lingering doubts about whether this news is truly credible. Uh, your response? Well, you know, I know people are skeptical about anything that's come out of the White House, particularly on health matters. Um, but I think the fact that this is a president who has been eager to be out uh, in public to hold big rallies, uh, who is now not able to do that, um, is a sign that they that this is real. Um, if if he did not have this, I suspect that uh, he would he would not be taking the precautions that he's taking. So I think at this point it is it seems to be credible information. But um, how much more we get from the White House about the condition, we'll wait to see. And what a statement it is that we are in these times that we even question the credibility of this. Well, Dan Baltz, chief political correspondent of the Washington Post, thank you so much for talking with us. You're welcome. Nice to be with you. Thanks. And thanks to Maria Salagos, who will be switching from her national politics hat to her state politics hat in just a moment as we talk about Proposition 25. So stay with us for that. I'm Nina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.